0: Then they scanned the horizon. "'What's the risk?' The habit phrase was reassuring to the navigator. He said, "'I don't see how we can get lost. We live here. The only risk is if the weather clamps down.' Towns let a minute go by before he said, "'We're bigger.' Moran was satisfied, not with his dead radio or the Met report that was often wrong as hell, but with Towns. He had flown the oil runs with him for three years— but they should at least go through the motions of reaching a considered decision. What alternate did you nominate? El-Azad? Christ! Two dozen mud-built sweatboxes with doors stuck fast with crushed flies, a mosque like a dog kennel, and three wells, two of them filled with salt water and the third with drowned rats. Visit the ancient kasbah of El-Azad, the palm-fringed haven amid the far-flung sands of yesteryear. And bring an elephant gun. It's the only thing that termites won't eat, providing you can reload fast enough. Fort LaCroix is under repair, town said, and I didn't fancy going into pick-to-seed over the Kemet range if we got into trouble. You persuade me to lob down in Elwazad for a couple of nights while they find some aerial wire, and we'll do that, Lou. He was keeping on track by visual reference to the north-south pipeline and the long brown spine of the Kemet massif on the other side. Moran said, I'm happy as I am. How are they at the back? Okay. Did you see Trucker get on the plane? Nope. He's being shipped home to a mental clinic. He looks far gone. You know how they start to look. Towns nodded, watching the Kemet Massif turning slowly on the horizon and waiting for Tezerbo Oasis to come up on the starboard wing. If the weather kept clear for two more hours, they would be north of the central desert and within running distance of the Jalo Oasis group. He began humming inside his headset until Moran told him to shut up or take it off. An hour afterwards, they hit a wind shear and dropped a hundred feet without touching the sides. Moran leaned against the perspex, trying to sight the Radu Sifi camel track, the only landmark they would be able to pick up in this area where the central desert opened up from east to west. Either he was anticipating or the sandstorm of a week ago had covered the track completely. The wind sheared again, and Towns brought the nose up, looking across Moran to the west where the horizon was boiling up dust. His ears automatically monitored the note of the engines and found it perfect. But he wished they had a radio. Moran checked the directional gyro against the compass and reset, and peeled off a strip of chewing gum, which Towns had not often seen him do. It made a disgusting squelching noise in the headset. No one had been in to see them from the back, There was nearly always one of the drilling engineers on the flight deck, in here to kill off the boredom by telling them how to fly the thing. In a passenger freighter like this, there was no cabin staff to keep them out. He asked Moran, ''They still got that monkey back there?'' Moran gave a studied sniff. ''You didn't think it was me, did you?'' There was still no sign of the camel track. The storm would have covered it. A storm like that would have wiped out a whole oil camp with driven sand except for the derrick. The west horizon was still curdling up, brown, yellow, and hard blue sky. Within twenty minutes the gyro had wandered, and Moran reset it, chewing busily on his gum. He hadn't spoken for a long time. He knew what his pilot knew. Another hour now, and they'd be able to run for Jallo even if the bottom fell out of the sky. A flight of migratory geese crossed the wake of the sky truck ten minutes later, coursing eastwards at about ten or twelve thousand feet. Behind them there was a veil of rising sand, where a wing of the wind had broken away from the main drift. Moran stayed hunched against the perspex, looking down at the spread of the central desert. There were no toys lying scattered there now, and no weed-like tufts of palm. The afternoon sun cast shadows across the scimitar-curving dunes, and pools of dark light swam on the eastward lees of the plateaus. It was lunar landscape, dead and unknowable. Down there you would find not a leaf, not a grass blade, not a footprint of any living thing. The plain shadow haunted a dead world. Moran bumped his head as the Skytruck fell into a pocket of air, and Towns worked to keep her stable. There was no horizon now to the west. Desert and sky merged in a swath of yellow. Sand began touching the perspex, and Moran sat upright on his seat, checking the gyro and allowing for compass deviation caused by the iron-bearing rocks northwest of the Kufra group. Within ten minutes the sun went out, and they were headed into a darkening yellow void. Towns went down to three thousand feet, as low as he dared, because of the table mountains of sand that reared sometimes two thousand feet above sea level in this area. But there was no freak break in the wind. The sand was boiling up from the land with the consistency of steam from a boiling vat. In fifteen minutes he had climbed to twenty-five thousand and was flying through yellow murk. The desert was no longer below them. It was in the sky. Check heading, Lou. You're plumb on. The sand hissed against the windscreen like dry rain. There's a ten-degree drift, Town said. I allowed for that. They were headed north, and the wind was out of the west, up from Fazan, maybe rooted even as far as the Hogger Ranges. They were in a dead crosswind of thirty rising forty miles an hour or more. The chewing gum tasted foul in the mouth. The one risk had come off. The Met Bureau in Jebel Sara was proving forty-nine percent right again. But Frank Towns had said they were bigger, and in three years he had been zero percent wrong. Behind those three years, before Moran had known him... There were another twenty-seven, a total of forty-thousand flying hours. That was real size, bigger than almost any risk you could think of. The sound from behind made Moran start. It was one of the men from the back, a stranger to him. He swung his right earphone free. "'If the aerial's gone,' the man said in a pitched but reasonable tone, "'and there's no visibility, how is your pilot going to find his alternate?' Moran looked up into a thin young face with mild eyes magnified by rimless glasses. He looked more like a student chemist than an oil driller. Maybe he was. Moran resisted the impulse to tell him that their alternate field at El El Alzad was now some hundred and fifty miles behind them. And it was no good trying rough humor on a face like this. The question had been put very formally, even to the extent of your pilot. We are on course and on schedule, he told the young man. If there's anything interesting to report, we'll be letting you know. The magnified brown eyes blinked slowly like a lizard's. Thank you. He went back into the main cabin, slipping the door-catch deftly and nudging the panel to make quite sure it was properly closed. He had to climb awkwardly across the big man's legs because he wouldn't move them. Conversation with the big man, whose name he had learned, had not been easy so far on the flight, but he resolved to try again. "'I've just spoken to them on the flight deck, Mr. Cobb. "'They assure me that the flight's going according to plan, "'but I must say I would have expected them to be turning for their alternate airport by now.' "'After a moment he asked, "'Wouldn't you?' "'Trucker Cobb swung his head slowly to gaze into the soft, questioning eyes. "'There was the awareness that people were trying to get into Cobb's world, "'and he had to make the effort of meeting them. "'You from Jebel, son?' "'My brother's there. I've just paid him a visit. He's an analytical geophysicist. Do you know him? Our name is Stringer.' He edged his eyes away from the rather intimidating stare. "'I've seen enough of that stuff. I've seen enough.' Cobb was staring now at the window. It was an opaque panel of yellow. He knew that it was sand. He could recognize the color of sand anywhere. It was the color of sickness.' Stringer said, "'Anyway, they have assured me that the flight is going normally. I suppose the pilot knows what he's doing, though frankly he looks an old man to be flying still. He looks all of fifty, which is old to be still flying, don't you think?' He looked hesitantly into the lost blue eyes that had yellow squares set in them, the reflection of the windows. Cobb didn't seem to have heard him. To go and talk to anyone else would mean climbing over the big inert legs again.' So he sat still and watched the particles of sand flying at the window and jumping away. There was something fascinating in sitting here and realizing that if the thin pane of plastic were not there, one would have to clench the eyes and duck the head to avoid being blinded. Behind Cobb, Captain Harris lit another cigarette and felt the plane lurch as the pilot corrected the drift. He would have liked to take a draft from his water bottle— because the stew he had eaten before take-off had been heavily salted. But he was in uniform, and one should try to exert a little self-discipline. The thirst would be the more urgent by the time they landed at Sidi Rafa, and it's quenching the more enjoyable. Besides, Watson was here, a man to note the smallest weakness,